my son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. So last night was really crappy for Republicans in Virginia. We will give you the entire analysis from beginning to end without myth or bias. Plus, President Trump heads to South Korea, and we will look at a little bit of Bibble Talk. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. So as you can tell, I was crying so hard last night that the snot has not yet stopped flowing. I have a horrible cold that my children keep giving me. One of the wonderful things about children is that they are delightful. One of the horrible things is that they constantly get you sick. They're just giant balls of germs. In any case, we will soldier through with the bravery of Spartan warriors. But before we get to any of what happened in Virginia last night, first, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Tracker. So we have a routine in my house. It goes like this. It's time to leave. I need my wallet. I need my keys. I need my phone. I have none of these things. So we spend the next three hours looking for all of those things, by which time it's time to put my children to bed, and then we don't have to leave the house at all. It's not as delightful as it sounds. It would be really nice if I knew where all of those things were. Fortunately, I now have trackers, so this has now been reduced. What Tracker does is a coin-sized device. You can stick it on your keychain. You can stick it in your wallet, and it allows you to find all of these things around the house simply with the push of a button. So if you have your keys, you hit the button, and it hooks right up to your phone. For example, you lost your phone, and you even turned your ringer off on your phone. It overrides the, the ring off on your phone, and now your phone will actually ring, so you can find your phone even if it's turned off in terms of the, in terms of the ringer. The same thing is true of your keys. From your phone, you can locate your keys or your wallet. That's what Tracker is for. And the Tracker Pixel means that you don't have to worry about losing things ever again. Again, Tracker makes a great gift, especially during the holiday season. You get 20% off your order when you go to thetracker.com slash Ben. Again, that's thetracker.com slash Ben for 20% off thetracker.com slash Ben. Never lose your phone, your keys, your wallet ever again. It makes your life super simple. Uh, that's why I use thetracker.com and use that slash Ben to get 20% off and let them know that we sent you. Okay, so last night, Republicans got their asses kicked in Virginia, um, and that really is not an overstatement. Ed Gillespie ends up losing by almost 10 points uh, in Virginia. Going into the election, it was assumed that Gillespie was gaining. Everyone on Morning Joe, you know, your great political analyst on Morning Joe, had suggested that Gillespie was definitely going to win universally. Uh, I was asked by Andrew Clavin, who I thought was going to win. I informed him I no longer bet on elections after 2016. Uh, but if I had to lean, I would have been leaning toward Northam, the, the Democrat in, in Virginia. Uh, it wasn't just Northam winning. It was Northam winning big. Uh, and it wasn't just Northam winning. It was Democrats down the ballot winning in enormous numbers. So Republicans going into this particular election cycle had, I believe, 66 seats in the state legislature. They finished last night with 47. So they just got shellacked all the way across the board. And it wasn't just Republicans in Virginia. Democrats picked up a couple of seats in Georgia. Excuse me, in the state legislature there. And the state legislature, those seats were so red that Democrats had not run in those districts for the last election cycle. They ran this time, they ran this time, and they won. Okay, not just that. 
the governorship of New Jersey is lost. Okay, that you can predict it. But the Washington state legislature turns from Republican to Democrat with the loss of a legislative seat in Washington. What this means is that Democrats are outperforming the polls. It means the Democrats are showing up in bigger numbers than Republicans were assuming that they were going to. And there are a bunch of Democrats, including radical Democrats, elected uh, across Virginia last night, including the first transgender delegate to the Virginia House of Burgesses in the history of Virginia. Obviously, this is the second transgender delegate, I believe, ever to any uh, to any. Uh, legislative body. I think the first one was, was in 1992. It was actually a Republican uh, in, in, in uh, Atlanta. But in any case, the Democrats are celebrating this as some sort of massive victory. So we're going to analyze this from a couple different angles because there are a couple of different narratives that are now taking effect. One is that this was just inevitable. Okay, Virginia's been moving blue, particularly northern Virginia, near Washington, D.C. Everyone who was in Washington, D.C. working commutes out to Alexandria, and that's where they live. They all live in Alexandria in the, in the northern portion of the state, and that part is becoming more blue and more populous. And so this was just the natural after effect of all of that. And there is something to this. So this is, this is a map tweeted out by someone named Jamie Dupree. Uh, Jamie Dupree tweets out uh, a map showing on the bottom, you can see the 2016 Clinton-Trump map, right? Hillary won the state by about five percentage points, she went at 50 to 45. Northern won the state by 54, 45. Um, and then you see the top map. Right? The top map is last night. Uh, and you do see a couple of big transition points. Okay, the first one you see is if you look at the bottom right-hand corner, uh, facing it anyway, of, of the map, what you will see is Virginia Beach, right? Virginia Beach was red in 2016, now it is blue. So Trump had won that, he lost it last night. You also see some of the blue areas becoming bluer. Uh, the red area is becoming lighter shades of red. So the entire state is moving toward the left, and it has been for quite a while. The 2016 map between 2013 and 2017, Virginia moved steadily Democratic, certainly since 2009 when uh, Bob McDonnell won by 17 points in the gubernatorial race. Uh, the, the state has moved dramatically to the left. It's also important to mention that the gubernatorial loss is not unprecedented. So the, Trump is the fifth president in a row to have his party lose both the Virginia and the New Jersey gubernatorial races in his first year in office. So he lost uh, this year to uh, Northam and a guy named Murphy in, in New Jersey. In 2009, McDonald won and Christie won. They were both Republicans after Obama was elected in 2001. Warner and McGreevy won in the various states. Republicans have not been winning in Virginia for quite a while. McDonald is the only major victory in Virginia, but the state legislature has been heavily read for quite a while. It no longer is. Okay, so this is sort of the extent of the analysis that a lot of people who are pro-Trump want to do. Right? The extent of the analysis is the state was already moving red. What are you whining about? Right? Trump lost the state by five, so last night Gillespie lost by nine, so Trump is better than Gillespie, so what's the big deal? Right? The state was already moving in the wrong direction. What are you whining about? I think this is far too simplistic because, again, off-year elections are bad for presidents. They are bad for the president of the, of the incumbent party, and that means that Republicans are likely to be in trouble in the House. So the average loss in House elections for the last 50, 60 years in off-year elections has been around 25 seats. Republicans have a 23-seat majority in the House of Representatives right now. So if just the average swing happens, Republicans lose the House of Representatives. But we were told that Trump was going to win like no other. Winning, 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 right? So that's a bit of an excuse. But let's take it to face value. The question isn't whether Republicans lose 22 seats. The question is whether Republicans lose 30 or 35 seats. And what we saw last night in Virginia was a wave. And that's a combination of factors, in my opinion. That is, yes, places like Virginia moving to the left. But more importantly, it is a very unpopular president. Remember, Trump is unpopular right now, and he has 3 to 4% economic growth every quarter. If the bottom falls out on the economy at any point here, that dude's going to be in the 20s faster than you can say anything. 
I mean, this, they could really fall, fall apart very quickly here. Unpopular president, off your election, motivated Democratic base. The Democratic base is motivated for two reasons. One, they despise President Trump, and without Trump on the ballot, a bunch of Republicans didn't show up. And two, Republicans also didn't show up because Hillary Clinton wasn't on the ballot. The big difference between 2016 and 2017 is not Trump on the ballot. It's Hillary Clinton not being on the ballot. Hillary Clinton not being on the ballot was a major boon to Democrats. There's a solid case to be made that Democrats minus Hillary is greater than GOP plus Trump. In other words, the Democrats gained more by not having Hillary on the ticket than the Republicans gained by having Trump around, especially in Northern Virginia, where the Republicans just got wiped out. In Loudoun County, right, which is the D.C. exurbs, in 2014, Ed Gillespie, who ran for Senate in 2014 in Virginia, also ran for governor last night in Virginia. In 2014, Gillespie won Loudoun County by 456 votes. Yesterday, he lost it by 24,000 votes. 24,000 votes. That is a massive shift. And one of the reasons for that shift is that suburban people did not like President Trump. There are, there are exit polls yesterday showing from ABC News that the people who said they voted because of the president voted two to one against Gillespie. So there was a big move against Trump here. And that does have an effect. So an unpopular president, uh, and a candidate who's trying to run a Trumpian campaign when he's not really a Trumpian, uh, the fact that the Democrats are are jazzed up about 2018 in a way Republicans are not. Republicans haven't done anything with the legislative power they have. Also, it is quite possible, and this is the contention that I have been making for literally a year since the election, literally one year, because today is the day after the election. The, uh, the case that I have been making is that Hillary Clinton won the election for President Trump. That, that President Trump did not actually win the election. Hillary Clinton lost the election. No one showed up to vote for her. And the evidence that I base this on is that in Wisconsin, what you see is an actual, uh, is an actual loss of votes from 2012 to 2016. Mitt Romney won more votes in 2012 than, than Donald Trump won in 2016 in Wisconsin. Trump won the state, Romney lost the state. That's because people showed up to vote for Obama who didn't show up to vote for Clinton. In 2004, George W. Bush won more votes in Michigan than Donald Trump did in 2016. Trump wins the state. Bush loses the state. Why? Because people showed up to vote for John Kerry, who didn't show up to vote for Hillary Clinton. It's that simple. Well, that's what you're seeing now. Democrats did not vote in the last election cycle for two reasons. One, they thought Hillary was going to win in a walk. Right? That's what the polls were saying. The New York Times was saying a 99% chance that Hillary Clinton was going to be president of the United States on the morning of the election cycle. Right? That's what they're saying all the way up until the evening. A 99% chance that she was going to be <laughs> the next president of the United States. And so people didn't show up to vote because they figured she's going to win anyway. What does it matter if I go to show up to vote? And two, Hillary's the most off-putting candidate in the history of American politics. No one wanted to get out and vote for her. She's not on the ballot anymore. You know who's still on the ballot? Trump. So now... You get what the Democrats thought it was going to be. There was a big argument in 2016. Is this election about Trump or is it about Hillary? Right? You got to pick one. Is it about Trump or Hillary? I said the entire election cycle was about Hillary Clinton. Hillary was bouncing around in the polls. She was going everywhere from 50 to 40. Where was she going to end up? That was the big question. Trump was very steady between 40 and 45, always. Right? And it was usually between 43 and 45. And I figured, okay, 45% is not enough to win. It turns out it is. But bottom line is that now you get the referendum, on, the referendum on Trump. The referendum on Hillary is that everyone thought she was terrible. The referendum on Trump, now that no one else is on the ballot, is that Trump is not popular, okay? And that does have a pretty major impact. Now, what the Democrats are doing is they're trying to translate this over into a, a national campaign. They're basically running Hillaryism without Hillary. One of the things that's fascinating is that a lot of people were saying last night what you saw was Trumpism without Trump. I'm going to explain why that's not true in a second and why what you're actually seeing right now is Hillaryism without Hillary 
in just a second. First, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at the U.S. Concealed Carry Association. So you've heard me talking about the USCCA a lot lately, and now they are looking to take your home defense and concealed carry confidence to the next level by inviting you to their free live training event. Very cool. Tuesday the 14th. All about what to do if you are forced to defend yourself in your home. You'll get to ask questions live as personal defense experts reveal what you can and can't, when you can and cannot use deadly force in your home, what happens after you shoot, you will be arrested no matter what, training drills to keep your skills sharp, and much more. Be confident in your ability to protect your family in your home. Go to concealedcarrylive.com right now to secure your spot. That's concealedcarrylive.com right now to secure your spot. And you'll get three chances to win a Glock 19 just for registering. Again, they're giving away three Glocks live during the training. Obviously, you have to pass whatever check you have to pass. Go to concealedcarrylive.com now to get your three chances to win. Concealedcarrylive.com right now to get your three chances to win. Spots are filling up fast. Concealedcarrylive.com. Check it out. Pretty awesome thing. You get to ask live questions to actual experts on these subjects. Okay, so there's a lot of talk last night about Trump, and we'll get to Trump in just a second. But what we actually saw was Hillaryism on the ballot without Hillary. So you had a bunch of candidates who ran campaigns very similar to Hillary Clinton's, but they weren't as nasty and, and off-putting as Hillary Clinton. Ralph Northam ran a pretty nasty low-down campaign accusing Ed Gillespie of racism and bigotry. Uh, he had a Latino Victory Caucus put out that ad that I showed you guys, what I think is the worst ad in American political history, showing a Gillespie truck trying to run down minority children. And then Northam had the gall to go out there and say that Virginia rejected hatred and bigotry. Here's Ralph Northam, the, the new governor of the state of Virginia. Today, Virginians have answered and have spoken. Virginia has told us to end the divisiveness, that we will not condone hatred and bigotry, and to end the politics that have torn this country apart. I want to let you know that in Virginia, it's going to take a doctor to heal our differences. He, of course, is a doctor, so that means that Okay, so in any case, this is sheer nonsense, the idea that they rejected hatred and bigotry, that if Ed Gillespie had won, then people in Confederate flag trucks are going to be running down children. And then they say that they're uniting. Then they say they're uniting. He's running Hillary's campaign, right? This is what Hillary said about deplorables. He's running Hillary's campaign in an off-year election, and he's doing it without Hillary's face. And this makes a big difference. It demonstrates how unpopular Hillary Clinton was. Okay, same thing was happening over in New Jersey. Uh, the, the guy named Phil Murphy is, is the new governor over in New Jersey, replacing Chris Christie when Christie's term is up, and he's doing the same thing. We have a new unity, right? He, again, this is Hillaryism without Hillary. Tonight, we declare the days of division are over. We will move forward together. This is exactly who we are, New Jersey. We have each other's backs. To believe in each of us is to believe in all of us. Okay, so again, they're going to do this whole unity routine running the Hillary campaign without Hillary Clinton, and they can win on that. Okay, it's not the Republicans' agenda was, was radically you know, greenlit over the past eight years. It was that they were running against Barack Obama. Well, now Democrats get to run against Donald Trump, and they get to do so without Hillary Clinton's face at the head of their ticket. That makes a very, very large difference. So one of the questions that's being asked is basically, did Gillespie fight hard enough? So one of the, so in defense of Trump, you know, what I'm saying here is that Trump's unpopularity definitely hurts people down ballot, that it drives Democrats to the polls in a way it doesn't drive Republicans to the polls, uh, that Trump's approval rating is historically awful. Again, that ABC News exit polling showed, quote, voters by a two-to-one margin said they were casting their ballot to show opposition to Trump rather than support for him. In New Jersey, that margin was three-to-one. People may thrill to Trump's cultural warfare on the right, but it also drives a bunch of people on the left to the polls. 
you know, so this is the case that I'm making, that some of this has to do with Trump, not all of it has to do with Trump, but some of it does. A lot of people on the, on the Trump side are saying, no, 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 no. The reason that Gillespie lost is because he wasn't Trumpkin enough, right? Is This is always, if your theory is that Trump is God, King, Emperor, then everything bad that happens, there, there's a new hypothesis that's been created, okay? The, the hypothesis that's been created is that when someone wins, it's because they were warm to Trump, and when someone loses, it's because they weren't warm enough to Trump, right? It's never about the reality, because Gillespie basically ran a, a very Trumpian campaign. He didn't openly campaign with Trump. If he had openly campaigned with Trump, he would have lost worse in the D.C. exurbs up in northern, in northern Virginia. He won exactly the same percentage that Trump won in the state. The difference is the Democrats showed up to vote for Democrats this time. And so Gillespie won 45%, so did Trump. Bottom line is Gillespie ends up losing by 10, Trump ends up losing by 5. That's because all the Democrats showed up to vote. In fact, by polls, 41% of people who voted yesterday in Virginia were Democrats. Only 31% said they were Republicans. So what the Trumpian people have been saying is, well, Gillespie lost because he didn't fight hard enough. If he'd only had a little more Trump in him, then he would have won. And to support this, they say, look, look at the Democrats. They were calling him a racist and a bigot, and Gillespie didn't fight back hard enough on that. They point to people like Terry McAuliffe, the, the current governor of the state of Virginia who definitely wants to run for president. Here's McAuliffe you know, ripping into Gillespie. I'm predicting we're going to win all three statewides, a bunch of House of Delegates. It's been a great race. Ralph Northam is going to be the next governor. Everybody is happy in the state. As you just say, we're a safe state, a record amount of economic investment. And Ed Gillespie has run really a racist, bigoted campaign, horrible ads. Donald Trump today is now doing robocalls. Donald Trump's at 31 percent in Virginia. We're going to reject that. And we are going to move forward as a commonwealth, and Ralph is going to be the next governor of okay, the commonwealth so McCall of Virginia. Okay, so McCall is saying that he ran a racist, bigoted campaign. What he's talking about is Gillespie ran an ad saying that Ralph Northam backed sanctuary cities, and he linked that to MS-13. Okay, that's not a racist ad. That's a typical political ad. Gillespie, well, when people say Gillespie is a milk toast, that he's an establishment guy, what they really mean is that he's not Trumpian in the way that he fights back. I would like him to be a bit more Trumpian in the way that he fights back, by the way. Here's Gillespie, for example, saying last night that Ralph Northam is a good man. Yeah, a good man who called him a racist and a bigot. As I said throughout the course of this campaign, Governor-elect Northam is a good man, and I appreciate his service to our country and our commonwealth, and I wish him nothing but the best success as our 73rd governor, and told him that if I could be helpful to him in making our commonwealth better, that I would be happy to do anything I could in that regard. So there are a lot of people who are saying, well, you know, this sort of conciliatory show by Gillespie demonstrates why he lost. I think there is something to that. I think Gillespie should fight back harder. It's one of the things I always appreciated about President Trump, even when I wasn't supporting him. You know, the fact is that I think Trump does fight back. I think he, he fights back on things that are stupid, and I think he fights back on things that are not stupid. Gillespie did not fight back nearly as hard as he should have on things like that Latino victory ad. But is that why Gillespie lost? It doesn't explain why Republicans got shellacked down ballot. It doesn't explain why they lost two seats in Georgia. It doesn't explain why they lost the Washington State Senate. It doesn't explain why the state of Maine just voted to increase Medicare. It doesn't explain any of those things. So I don't quite buy that. But this is going to be the hypothesis of people defending Trump, is that the reason that Gillespie lost is because he didn't hug Trump hard enough. And this is actually a crucial distinction. This, this is a crucial question. Should Republican candidates hug Trump really hard or should they try and distance themselves? Or should they try to like straddle that line? I think the only thing they can do is try to straddle the line. Because if you hug Trump really hard, you are driving Democrats to the polls. If you do not hug Trump really hard, then Trump could actually crap all over you, which as you will see, Trump did to Gillespie. Uh, or the Trump base could decide that they are going to turn on you because you are not supportive enough of Trump. This is the problem with cults of personality, is that if you support Trump so much that you're willing to not go out and vote for a typical Republican because they weren't nice to Trump, then you are undercutting Trump's own ability to govern.
It's just foolishness. But that means that a lot of Republicans are caught between a rock and a hard place. They don't want to hug Trump because if they hug Trump, they lose suburban soccer moms. And if they don't hug Trump, then Trump craps all over them and the base, de and the base deserts them. Yeah, this is a serious problem. Uh, Laura Ingram last night, she was suggesting what really should have happened here is Gillespie should have just hugged Trump really hard. And this is going to be the, the going line that, that more uh, you're going to see more and more. Uh, I'm going to discuss Trumpism in just a second. But first, Trump personally, uh, the, the, the typical media line is because the entire politics now revolves around Trump. People like Laura Ingram and even Chris Matthews are saying Gillespie's big mistake is that he, he, didn't, he didn't hug Trump hard enough. Here's, here's Ingram. Those big suburban counties around Washington, D.C., just right over there, uh, went even more for Northam than they did for Hillary, which I think... But what does that tell you? That tells you a populist conservative like Trump, who has a strong personality and a strong message, did do better. He didn't spend a lot of time campaigning in Virginia, Donald Trump. And Ed Gillespie tried to do this dance that yeah. uh, I'm not going to campaign with Trump, but he'll tweet for me and he'll do a last minute robocall. I think in the end that came off as desperate. Okay, so he's, she's saying that it was too little too late, right? That he, yeah, he was trying to embrace Trump. Yeah, he was trying to be more like Trump. But it was too desperate, right? He wasn't authentic. It didn't really come off. That was really the big problem here. The reason that Donald Trump did better than Gillespie in the northern suburbs is because Hillary Clinton was on the ballot. It's about Hillary, not about Trump. It's so funny. Whenever it comes to Hillary being a tool to be used, there are a lot of hosts who will use Hillary as a tool when they wish to misdirect from Trump. Okay, this is a case where they are using Trump to misdirect from Hillary. The reality is Democrats did not show up because of Hillary. End of story. Okay, Chris Matthews, though, saying the same thing. Gillespie pretended to be a Trumpster and he couldn't pull it off. He just wasn't authentic enough. Get him in the morning. Come on to the show. Come on in here. Talk about Ed Gillespie. Who's this guy? Ah, go. I think Democrats should have a morale boost like they've never had tonight, but they have to say, now we got to get out there and sell something. Yep. We got to sell something, whether it's a better health care program, a jobs program, or something. Uh, I think they got to be, that's just me talking. I think it's just a good night for the Democrats. I don't want to take any of the, uh, the, the joy out of it. They beat the hell out of this guy who pretended to be a Trumpster. Ed Gillespie is a Washington lobbyist. He's way down knee deep or head deep in the swamp. He's part of the problem Trump ran against. Okay, so now this is the, the typical line. Matthews tends to be more popular. So again, Ingram and, and Matthews both making the case that if, that if Gillespie had been more like Trump, then maybe he would have won. No, no. Okay, that's just the data do not show this. So what's the next line of defense for, for a lot of the people who are advocates of Trump who want to suggest that what happened in Virginia has nothing to do with Trump? The next line of defense, the first line of defense was, again, there are three lines of defense. Line of defense number one was Virginia was already moving to the left. True, true. It only goes so far, but True. Second line of defense, Gillespie, if he had been more like Trump, he would have done better. Very, very dubious. And final line of defense is that Trumpism requires Trump, right? That, that, that this is, that this, he wasn't Trumpist enough, right? The Gillespie, it wasn't just that Trump, that Gillespie didn't embrace Trump. He didn't embrace Trumpism. He didn't embrace the nationalist populist movement, right? This is the line that Steve Bannon is using now. Is he saying that, like, the way that they ran their headline over at Breitbart last night is they said that, that the swamp thing, Gillespie was defeated. Five seconds ago, Bannon was trying to campaign for Gillespie, saying that he was attempting to drain the swamp. So they're flipping on that one as well. So I want to talk a little bit about, about whether Trumpism even exists in just a second, because you have advocates for Trumpism saying, well, that was the problem. Gillespie just wasn't Trumpist enough. Not that he didn't embrace Trump personally, but also he wasn't populist enough. And then you had people on the left saying, well, this shows that Trumpism has failed. And I'm going to offer a third hypothesis. Trumpism does not exist, something I've been saying now for well over a year. First, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at My Patriot Supply. So if you are looking to prepare for an emergency, you look at and there are a lot of natural disasters on the news. There, we have a lot of enemies, foreign and domestic, you know, people who are attempting to, to create chaos. 
you may be stuck in a situation where you can't get to the grocery, right? You're, you're at home, some sort of natural disaster has taken place, the grocery is cleaned out, or you just can't get there and the government can't help you. This is why you need an emergency food supply in your home. Get a 102-serving survival food kit for just 99 bucks from My Patriot Supply. They help you prepare for the next emergency. Breakfasts, lunches, dinners, it is shipped to your home for free. Order a kit for yourself. Call 888-803-1413. Again, that's 888-803-1413. Or go online to preparewithben.com. Again, it's preparewithben.com. The emergency food lasts up to 25 years in storage. 888-803-1413. Preparewithben.com. Folks around the office say it tastes like home cooking. More importantly, you and your family are going to be safe and protected. You're going to stick it in a closet, forget about it until a disaster strikes, and then you were prepared because you were smart. Preparewithben.com, 888-803-1413. Again, preparewithben.com. So, so again, there were the two, to reiterate, the three hypotheses, right? One was Virginia's moving left, true. Two was this doesn't have to do with, with Trump it, It's because Gillespie didn't embrace Trump hard enough. I think that's wrong. This is what Trump was saying himself, by the way. Here's Trump's tweet on this last night. Trump tweeted, this is, this is a danger for Republicans, what he tweeted right here. He tweeted, Ed Gillespie worked hard, but did not embrace me or what I stand for. Don't forget, Republicans won four out of four House seats, and with the economy doing record numbers, we will continue to win even bigger than before. Here is the problem. What you can see from Trump is that Trump now has an interest in not associating himself with the Republicans, because if they lose, he loses. So instead, what he's going to do is crap all over Republicans and then suggest that if they just embraced him harder, everything would have been fine. He's going to play into this false, unfalsifiable hypothesis that every Trump win, every win is a Trump win and every loss is because you didn't embrace Trump hard enough. So that was hypothesis number two. Finally, hypothesis number three is about Trumpism. Trumpists will say, well, Gillespie didn't just not embrace Trump. He didn't embrace Trumpism. He should have been more populist. He should have, that, that's the line that he should have used, is that he should have, he should have just, even if he wasn't going to embrace Trump, he had to, he had to embrace Trump's program. There are a couple problems with this. One, Trump doesn't have a program. Two, the people who are saying this are wildly inconsistent as to what Trumpism constitutes. Steve Bannon, most prominently, has been trying to pose himself, as I have said, for months now, as the head of a Trumpist movement without Trump, that he will defend Trumpism against Trump even. That's his job. Well, Trumpism doesn't exist in the absence of Trump. Now, Gillespie tried to do a Trumpist campaign, it failed. So I think Jake Tapper on CNN goes too far. He says this was a rejection of Trumpism. I don't think that's exactly correct, and I'll explain why. Uh, CNN projecting uh, the Ralph Northam, the de Democratic lieutenant governor, will win. And it has to be seen to a degree, I think, as a rejection um, of President Trump, uh, who is uh, the strongest uh, prevailing political figure in the country, if you look at who turned out, according to the exit polls, and how often uh, people who supported Trump voted for um, uh, Gillespie and how many, how often people who oppose Trump uh, voted for Northam. That is a very strong sign of a rejection of Trump. Okay, so the idea again that Trumpism is being overthrown. This suggests that Trumpism is a thing. Trumpism is not a thing. There's a backlash to Trump personally, but I'm not sure that Trumpism is an actual program. If Republicans want to win, they're going to have to ask President Trump to do better. I don't know why this is controversial in any way. It's not a rip on President Trump to suggest he needs to do better. Britt Hume, who's been very supportive of President Trump, comes out last night. He says, look, it's obvious. Trump's unpopularity hurt Gillespie, clearly. Trump stirs passions, and the people who are for him are passionate, and the people who are against him are passionate. In the state of Virginia, remember, he lost Virginia. It's the only southern state he lost, really. So, right. you know, you think about that. This is not—Virginia really isn't Trump country. And an aroused electorate in Virginia is going to be bad news for a Republican running in the age of Trump. Okay, what this says is that in 2018, Republicans have some very solid systematic disadvantages. They have a serious problem in 2018. Democrats are going to be energized. They're going to show up. The average swing is going to be toward the out party. Plus, Trump is the most energizing candidate Democrats have faced ever, ever. 
Okay, so that means that they are going to show up in massive numbers. It could be a wipeout for Republicans. So Republicans had better get on their horse and start recruiting some people. Between 2000 and 2004, George W. Bush picked up some 10 to 12 million American voters. He lost the popular vote by 500,000. He then picked up 10 to 12 million voters, and he only won the election by a couple of million votes. Right? Who is Donald Trump picking up right now? So I think what this election, more than anything else, should show in Virginia is that the entire system of thought that we just keep doubling down on the base, the base, the base, the base, the base. He hasn't lost his base yet. He's, you know, as long as he doesn't lose his base, he's fine. Inaccurate. He can keep his base. If the base doesn't grow, Trump's going to lose in 2020, and Republicans are going to get slaughtered in 2018. The base is not big enough. His base is 35 to 38% of the population. That's it. That is not enough to win a general election. Okay, and the Electoral College is not going to save you in congressional elections. It's not even going to save you this time around in a, in a popular election when Hillary Clinton is not on the ballot. So as much as Republicans love to hate Hillary Clinton, the person they should be most grateful to in 2016 is not Donald Trump. It is Hillary Clinton. They should be grateful to Hillary Clinton for being such a crappy candidate. If Democrats don't make the same mistake in 2020 they made in 2016 and just appoint somebody wildly unpopular with the American public, they have an upper hand. And this is going to require Republicans to do something. Being in power means that you are more responsible. There's more risk and there's more reward. The risk is if you don't do anything, people are going to assume that you are just a bag of hot wind and they're going to get angry at you. And if you do do something, you risk that you're going to do the wrong thing. But it's also an opportunity. It's very high reward. If you can shift the ground, if you can pass popular legislation, you can move people into your column. For a year, Republicans have done nothing in Congress. Again, this is not on Trump. Republicans have done nothing in Congress. The backlash against the Republican Party is strong because of Trump, because of Republicans, because of the system, because Democrats are pissed off they didn't win in 2016. None of this bodes well for 2018. And if Republicans take the wrong lessons here, if the lesson they take is, oh, Trump is fine, everything's cool, it's just Virginia, heed the warnings, okay, heed the warnings, because if you don't, a shellacking is coming. And then I guess we'll, we'll play this game where we blame never Trump and we blame, the, and we blame you know, people who weren't fully Trumpy enough. It's just, if that's the game that we're going to play, then we are, again, not, we are not involved in the realm of reality. I'm, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing those talking points already, this idea that never Trump is to blame for what happened in Virginia. Again, there is no evidence of that whatsoever. Uh, the, the never Trump movement is like three people. It was never a movement. Just because you didn't vote for Trump didn't mean that you were against Gillespie winning. Okay, Not everybody's Evan McMullen. I wanted Ed Gillespie to win. I wanted Republicans to retain power. I think it's important that they do. It's really terrible what happened last night in Virginia. Trump must do better. He must do better. Republicans must do better. I don't see why any of this is even mildly controversial. Okay. So, meanwhile, President Trump is over in, uh, in South Korea, and he is speaking about North Korea at length. He's talking about China, and he's talking about Russia. And uh, here he was suggesting that it was time to isolate North Korea and directly posing a challenge to China and Russia. All responsible nations must join forces to isolate the brutal regime of North Korea, to deny it and any form, any form of it, you cannot support, you cannot supply, you cannot accept. We call on every nation, including China and Russia, to fully implement UN Security Council resolutions, downgrade diplomatic relations with the regime, and sever all ties of trade and technology. Okay, so what Trump is doing here is the right thing. And this is the point, okay? When you're president of the United States, you have a capacity to win people over. And Trump is actually on the road to doing that if he could just shut his mouth and stick to script. And when Trump does that, he's doing fine. A lot, this is why a lot of people who love Trump are angry when I comment on what Trump comments on. They say, well, why are you engaging with that? Just look at what he's doing, right? He's cut regulations. He's not spending as much. 
He's, he's not growing the federal government as fast on foreign policy. He's attempting to, to work with the military. All of that is true. What makes him unpopular is not this stuff. It's the crap that he tweets about out of Gillespie, right? It's, it's, it's the Charlottesville comments. That's the stuff that makes him unpopular, not his actual policies. Here he was again yesterday talking about North Korea in what I think is language that most Americans agree with. This is a very different administration than the United States has had in the past. Today, I hope I speak not only for our countries, but for all civilized nations. When I say to the North, do not underestimate us and do not try us. We will defend our common security, our shared prosperity, and our sacred liberty. We did not choose to draw here on this peninsula. Okay, so again, all of this is stuff that Trump can do just fine. But he's going to need to cut out all of the ancillary stuff because that's what makes him unpopular. I don't want to be a dead horse here, but if the takeaway from Virginia is that we should all just blithely go about our business, then we are making exactly the same mistake Democrats made in 2009 when they assumed that all of the backlash to Obama was just a bunch of talk. Remember, if Republicans just got shellacked in Virginia with 3% growth for the last two quarters, with the economy doing well, with us relatively secure in foreign policy, what's going to happen if something goes wrong? Okay, it could be a disaster. It's already a D plus 11 congressional generic ballot. And what happens if they win the House? Let's say that they win the House. They'll move to impeach Trump, presumably. But if they don't move to impeach Trump, then, it, then you could see them sweep. I think if they move to impeach Trump, it'll get out of the Trump base. But if they don't move to impeach Trump, then they could win back the Senate in 2020, the presidency in 2020. Uh, there's the outside possibility they win back the Senate this year uh, or next year. If they do that, you can kiss goodbye to the Supreme Court. Because at that point, they'll just stymie whoever Trump appoints to the Supreme Court. It's, it, the, the whole thing is, it, it does matter. Politics does matter. Elections do matter. What happened in Virginia last night, uh, it, it's either going to be seen as a data point or part of a trend. I think it's part of a trend, not just a data point. Okay, so before I go any further, and I want to read you a column from the New York Times that I think is quite ridiculous uh, in a second. But before I go any further, I want to say thank you to one of our new sponsors, Tripping.com. So, uh, whenever I travel with my wife and kids, we have a general problem staying in hotels. The reason is because we keep kosher. So if we go to someplace like Hawaii, then there is no kosher food there. We have to bring our food with us. That means that we have to get a place in the kitchen or we have to get a place with multiple bedrooms. Right? You don't wanna, we have two kids who are under the age of four. You don't want them sleeping in the same bedroom. They wake each other up and then they wake, they wake up, us up. So if you have one bedroom like in a hotel room, you're totally screwed. No one gets any sleep at all. Well, that's what Tripping.com is for. You can spend less time planning your next trip, more time relaxing with Tripping.com, which is the world's number one site for vacation rentals. So you're actually renting like a condo, for example. You want a kitchen, you want multiple bedrooms. With Tripping.com, one search lets you filter, compare, sort over 10 million available properties on trusted sites like VRBO, TripAdvisor, Booking.com, and more. And you don't have to worry if you're getting the best deal on that cabin that you're going up to Big Bear for, you'll save an average of 18% per night by booking your vacation with Tripping.com. So if you want to save time and money while booking the perfect vacation rental, go to Tripping.com slash Shapiro. Tripping.com slash Shapiro. Again, check that out at Tripping.com slash Shapiro. They're the folks that we use. And as I say, every time my wife and kids and I travel, we have to do a vacation rental. Tripping.com slash Shapiro is the service that we use. Go to slash Shapiro and let them know that we sent you. Okay, so... Uh, there, there is, uh, you know, with, with all of this said, I think the Democrats still have the capacity to lose if they focus on intersectionality, if they continue to focus on their social justice warrioring. So, you know, there's, a, there's this idea, this is how you got Trump. That continues to apply. It's not that that went away last night in Virginia. So Democrats have to be very careful. The campaign that Democrats ran in Virginia was actually a moderate, 
Hillary-esque campaign, not a full Bernie Sanders-esque campaign, and not a full-on intersectional campaign. Northam did it a little bit, but he really campaigned more as moderate than anything else. He looked more like Joe Biden than anything else. And what you are seeing is a uh, what, what you're seeing from the left is them tearing themselves open. So while Republicans are tearing themselves open about Trump, the left is tearing themselves open about what is their centering ideology, and maybe Trump can help bring them together around that. I mean, Obama brought Republicans together around anti-Obamaism, and there were some significant breaches in the Republican platform, for sure. But if Democrats continue to embrace the intersectional theory that they have been embracing thus far, then that could lead to a Trump victory and to a Republican resurgence. Because culture wars do drive this. Culture wars do make a difference with regard to how people vote. Uh, so you know, Democrats could still blow this. I'll talk a little bit more about how Democrats can, can blow this and I'll show you an instance of Democrats seeking to blow it in just a second. But for all of that, you're going to have to go and subscribe over at dailywire.com. For $9.99 a month, you get a subscription to Daily Wire. You get the rest of my show live on video. You get the rest of Michael Knowles' show live on video. The rest of Andrew Clavin's show live on video. And if you subscribe, you definitely want to be sure to, to tune in to watch our next episode of The Conversation happening next Tuesday, November 14th at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, featuring Michael Knowles. Uh, Michael's conversation will stream live on the Daily Wire website, Facebook page, and YouTube. It will be free for everyone to watch, but only if you are a subscriber can you ask questions to Michael Knowles, and presumably he will hold up a blank piece of paper and answer. Subscribe today to ask Michael questions and join the conversation. That's happening next Tuesday. If you want the annual subscription, you get all of these myriad glories, plus the greatest in all beverage vessels. This, your very own Leftist Tears, Hot or Cold, Daily Wire, Branded Tumblr. You know, the thing that allows me to get through this show without hawking up my lung is this Daily Wire Tumblr. It can do the same for you. So the Daily Wire Tumblr available to you when you get the annual subscription for 99 bucks a year, which is a discount off the monthly subscription, or later go over and subscribe at YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, leave us a review. Always helps other people learn about the show and find out about the show. We are the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast in the nation. Okay, time for some things I like and some things that I hate. So things that I like, um, I have been watching Stranger Things Season 2, um, and normally I don't do things I like on specific seasons of shows, but since this is such a big phenomenon, um, the, the new Stranger Things season is quite good. I'm through eight episodes. I'm not through the last two episodes yet, uh, and it is... Oh, I have one left? It's nine episodes? Okay, fine. So I'm, I'm close to the end of this thing. Uh, and it is, uh, it is very good. I think it's better than season one in a lot of ways. Uh, I'm going to have to do a full season two recap at a certain point on Facebook Live where I, where I give my, my criticisms. I have particular criticisms of one Nancy. Um, but we will, we'll discuss that another time. Here is the preview for Stranger Things season two. We got to do this? Let's engage. That's never good. Hey guys, <laughs> do you treat the... Whenever, whenever you hear that rising noise, that's always bad in a preview. So in any case, um, it, it is less... I would say it's, it's kind of less scary in, in some ways than season one. Uh, season one, I think, is, is a scarier season because you haven't seen any of these things before. Uh, this season is is a lot less scary, but it's also faster paced. So it moves it moves a lot faster. The pacing in, in episode one particularly is much better. Uh, and it, I do find it weird that there are so many people who are nostalgic for an era they never lived through. 
Like, I was born in the year that this, that this show takes place. It takes place in 1984, and I'm sort of nostalgic for it, but that's because the 80s and 90s are basically one long continuation. But uh, there are a lot of people who are nostalgic for this who are kids. Right? you got 17-year-old kids who love Stranger Things because they're nostalgic for it. What that shows you is how much pop culture is invested in our perception of the past because what you're really nostalgic for is not the 1984. What you're really nostalgic for is E.T., Right, what you're really nostalgic for is movies that were made about this period because the movies were better in 1984 than they are today. It's just the reality of the situation. So you know, it's, it, it is fun to watch. It is, uh, it is well written. I'll be very disappointed if in season three they start with the social justice warrior ring. There are some rumors to that effect that they're going to make one of the kids gay because they have to do that. Uh, that would be really irritating because, come on, not everything has to be about the sexuality of the characters or this kind of nonsense. But in any case, uh, the season is... Uh, is is well worth the watch, so check it out. Okay, time for a quick thing that I hate. So, uh, I was talking about how the Democrats can lose. One of the ways the Democrats can lose is if they suggest that their brand is tied up with radical leftism. Right now, Trump won by being the default, not Hillary. Right, He was more than that, obviously, but that's probably why he was unpopular. Hillary was so terrible that Trump won by being not Hillary. Right, That was his entire campaign, was not Hillary. Right, He would say this. Democrats now are, can win if they say, we're not Trump. But instead of doing that, they feel the necessity to go out and make fools of themselves to demonstrate how passionate they are about the cause. So Ted Lieu, who represents a district uh, over here in Los Angeles, his opponent's a guy named Dr. Kenneth Wright, whom I uh, have endorsed for, for Congress. Ted Lieu uh, said that uh, he, he, here's what happened. There was this moment of silence for the victims of the Texas shooting. Ted Lieu walked out of the moment of silence. Okay, and here's what he had to say. Well, still, a moment of silence. Some people might say you even politicized that. I view it as doing my job to highlight this issue because you don't want Congress to just do moments of silences every time a mass shooting happens. You want us to take action to try to prevent this shooting from happening in the first place. Okay, so the idea that he's going to walk out on a funeral, basically, that he's going to walk out on a moment of silence uh, in order to demonstrate that he wants legislation on gun control is just absurd. I, I tweeted him yesterday, and he didn't have any very good responses on this. I tweeted him repeatedly saying, so have you walked out on funerals to go work at a soup kitchen, or do you, like, wait to finish the funeral and then go to the soup kitchen? You know, or why are you grandstanding about these victims, but you won't grandstand about other victims? Are they less valuable to you than, than these victims were? Again, this is all grandstanding. The more Democrats grandstand, the more they're going to lose. Uh, but if they keep their mouths shut and they just wait for the Republicans to make mistakes, that seems the way our politics works right now. You just wait for your opponent to make a mistake and then capitalize. Democrats should be in good shape if they do that. But fortunately for Republicans, there is always the question as to whether Democrats can keep their mouths shut on any of this stuff. Okay, time for a brief Bible talk. So uh, the, uh, I've been kind of going through the stories almost at random in the Bible. I'm going through them sort of in chronological order, but giving a little bit more in depth than I have over the past couple of years. So uh, the, the next story in the Bible that uh, I think is interesting uh, after the Cain and Abel story is the story of Noah. So the description of Noah in the Bible is that he is a good man in his time, right? That, that he walked with God and he was a good man in his time. So there's been a big debate in Jewish theological circles about what it means to be a good man in your time. Why does it say in his time, right? In whose else time would he be a good man? So there are two ways to read this. One is, that Noah was a good man even for his time, meaning he was living in a really corrupt, awful time. And so the fact that he was good in that time demonstrates how great he was. The other way to read that is to say he was only good for that time. Like if he lived today, he wouldn't be that great. And a lot of that depends on what you think of his tactics. So what's fascinating about Noah is that Noah doesn't spend a minute trying to recruit other people to fix their ways or build arcs of their own or anything, right? God says, build an ark, I'm destroying the world. Noah doesn't argue with him. Noah says, okay, fine. 
cool with me. It starts building a giant ark, right? That's, that's the idea here. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? This mirrors a debate that happens in religious communities all over the place. Religious communities have to make a, a very interesting decision. The decision is, do you cloister yourself and your children in an attempt to protect them? Do you try to prevent them from seeing news of the outside world? Do you try to build a bubble for them so that they're not affected by the, the diseases of the outside world? Or do you teach them to go out and engage? There is danger to engaging, right? If you engage, you may lose some people. If you engage, some people may walk away from your faith and your spirituality. Some people may be seduced by the dark side, so to speak. Or do you build a bubble, try to protect your kids? And I think the answer is supposed to be some of both, and it is time dependent, right? You have to pick your spots. So I don't think the answer is always the same. You know, when I was a kid, there was a kid who lived next door, uh, and the kid was really troubled. I mean, a really troubled kid. And my mom had a certain perspective on this kid. She thought, well, Ben's a good kid. The kid next door is not a great kid. If Ben hangs out with this kid, then Ben will make the other kid better, right? The other kid will be better. And my dad's perspective was, if Ben hangs out with this other kid, this other kid could make Ben worse. Now, there, this, this all came to uh, the forefront. It came to the culmination uh, when I was about I was maybe three or four years old, probably three. Uh, and this other kid convinced me to hide in, in the bushes a couple of doors down from my parents' house and not to answer when my parents called me. And so my parents actually ended up calling the police because they didn't know where I'd gone. They thought maybe I'd been kidnapped or something. Uh, and when I came out, my parents said, you're not allowed to play with that kid ever again. There are situations where you do have to protect yourself from outside forces. And then there are situations where you have to reach out. Right now is a situation where conservatives have to reach out, not just because the country is on the brink, but also because they have the opportunity to do so. And this is sort of the case I've been making about President Trump and about Republicans. Don't hunker down in your Trumpist bunker. Don't hunker down in your conservative bunker. Go out and win converts. Don't just yell at people. Don't just, don't just yell MAGA MAGA. Don't just talk about the base. Figure out how you're going to win new people over. Because if you don't do that, the Democrats are going to drive out their base at higher rates than we turn out our base in 2018, 2020. It's going to be a serious problem for Republicans. Okay, we'll be back here tomorrow with more deconstruction. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Did you know that a baby's heart begins to beat at just three weeks? At five weeks, it can be heard on ultrasound. In some cases, the heartbeat can be the baby's only defense in the womb, which is where preborn steps in. Preborn rescues 200 babies every day from abortion simply by providing moms with free ultrasounds that allow her to hear her child's heartbeat and see their perfectly formed body in the womb. By six weeks, the baby's eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to suck his or her thumb. Preborn needs our help to save these precious souls. For just 28 bucks, you could be the difference between the life or death of a baby. If you become a monthly sponsor, you'll receive stories and ultrasound pictures of the lives you helped to rescue. All gifts are tax deductible. 100% of your gift donation goes toward saving babies. To donate, dial pound 250, say keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or go to preborn.com slash Ben. That's preborn.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Preborn.com slash Ben. It's the best thing you're going to do today or maybe ever. Dial pound 250, say keyword baby. Start saving children today.